0: Hello, I am Dr. Steve Vargo, iDoc consultant, and your host for this edition of the iDoc Focal Point podcast, and I am really excited about this one. My guest today is Kristen Hadid, and Kristen's made a lot of mistakes. How's that for, a, how's that for an intro? You got it, Steve. Um, <laughs> like we all have, but uh, she was crazy enough to write a book about it, and um, so, Kristen is the author of Permission to Screw Up. In which she offers an unapologetic account of, of her biggest mistakes in leadership, and she hopes that her vulnerability will give others the courage uh, to open up about their own, as she calls it, perfectly imperfect moments and proudly embrace them as, as learning opportunities. So, uh, Kristen's also the founder of Student Made, a successful cleaning company that's employed thousands of students over the last decade. And it's worth noting that that similar to eye care, the cleaning industry is very competitive as well, and they also deal with extremely high turnover rates and and rather slim profit margins. And in spite of that, her company blew the industry benchmarks out of the water. Uh, So Kristen's been featured on PBS, Fox, Inc., NBC, Time, Forbes, and her first TED Talk, had more than three million views on YouTube, so you're big time, Chris. <laughs>
1: Thank you.
0: Uh, thanks so much for for uh, for for joining us.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: So the as we were talking a little bit before, um, the topics in your book, permission to uh, to screw up, really, uh, I found a lot of them really relevant to the struggles that I see working with with optometry practices and the staff. Uh, managing the staff and and one in particular that comes up a lot is staff turnover and some people think they had a bad day when one key staff member leaves you had 45 leave if I'm correct on the same day and it seemed like that was a pivotal moment for you in in terms of leadership in terms of what led to to you and 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 your mission can you describe that day and and the impact that it, it had on you as a leader
1: Yes. So you are referring to the worst, best day of my life. And, you know, the worst part is losing 45 people. So, just the quick backstory I started a company when I was in school. I was 19 and, you know, didn't have any business experience or leadership experience and started cleaning houses as a way to make extra money. And it wasn't supposed to be my career. My plan was to move to New York and I wanted to work on Wall Street. But right before I graduated, I got this contract to clean 800 apartments, and I knew that I wouldn't be able to clean them alone, so I hired a team of 60 people, and three days into the contract, 45 of those people walked out, and they didn't give me any real reason. They didn't say why, and I didn't have the self-awareness to understand that I was such a bad leader, and so it was, it was a horrible moment you know, to lose 75% of your team, but the reason I say it was the best day is because that's where my obsession with leadership really began and with wanting to learn how to be a leader and how to build a company where people really wanted to be. I got those people back. I got them back by going to the 15 people who hadn't quit and asking them if they had any ideas on how we could win them back. And We had this emergency meeting, promised everyone an early paycheck if they showed up. Everyone showed up. We were all students we all needed a, you know our paycheck early and uh I just opened up and shared that I had no clue what I was doing I was really honest and authentic and just didn't let my ego get in the way just totally revealed that I was clueless about leadership and more importantly that I was so embarrassed because I didn't even know why everyone had left I thought maybe I had something to do with it but I didn't understand and I needed them to help me so they came back and um and that was the summer that changed everything. I turned down a job in finance and decided to stick with the company and it's been 13 years and when I look back over these 13 years I know I wouldn't ha- I wouldn't be here if those 45 people hadn't walked out.
0: You you mentioned something interesting which I've always found and I'm curious if if you would agree or or have your own um definition of what top qualities of a leader are but for me what I've seen in my industry the people in leadership positions who, who usually tend to be either the the doctor owner of the practice or the people they hire in management positions is this nice mix of humility and assertiveness and it feels like there's got to be a balance of that and if there's too much of one I mean too much humility maybe that's not the right term but with without that assertiveness it seems like people tend to kind of walk all over you but but an overly high amount of assertiveness without the humility can sometimes not be the best look either on a leader. I'm just curious what, with, with all that you've learned, what would you consider some of the top qualities of, of a leader?
1: Well, Steve, I think what you're saying, it really resonates with me that we need both. So it's important to have humility and it's important to also be able to say, you know, we're, we're doing it this way. And I, I'm confident that this is the path that, that we should take. And I think it's a mix of, you want to be optimistic and you want to be realistic. And we don't trust when someone is overly one way or overly the other way. It's really about kind of both honoring both of these qualities. And I think, you know, when I think about, if I had to name one trait that I think is really important, I think it's vulnerability. And I think that that we have somehow in our society made vulnerability appear like it's a weakness. Like If we are vulnerable, it means we're not strong as leaders and it means people won't trust us. But I think when we are vulnerable, we become human. And, and I think that's where trust is born. And vulnerability at work could look like I'm struggling with something and I need help, or this is going on in my life and I just thought you should know because it's affecting the way that I'm showing up. Or I made a mistake, I really screwed this up and I need to say it out loud so that everyone understands that I'm taking ownership of this. You know, it doesn't always look like um, sharing your deepest feelings and being emotional. And I think that's what we normally go to when we think of vulnerability. So the best leaders I believe are vulnerable and they and they have this human side to them that really allows for that trust to be built.
0: You know, there's a level of likability too, which I think a lot of people in leadership positions and some of this is shattering old conventional wisdom. Yeah. You know, I, I ask because I do a fair amount of speaking, and sometimes I'll ask the audience if I'm doing a leadership uh, seminar, is it important that you're liked by the people on your team? And people get uncomfortable with that question because I think there's this at the core, well, they don't have to like me. They just have to respect me. And, and I think the respect part is important too. But there's a study I found where they – uh, surveyed 58,000 people in leadership positions, and they, they wanted to weigh these different factors. And one of them was likability. And I do think the things you're talking about makes you more, you know, it gains you respect, but also makes you more likable. Out of 58,000 people, the number of, of these people in leadership positions that were not likable, but rated high on leadership effectiveness, 27. Yeah. And I say, it is important that people like you. I'm not talking about besties, you know, after work, going out for cocktails and all that necessarily, but, but having a work relationship where people like and respect you, it, it is incredibly important if you want to be effective in, as, as a leader. Um, I'm curious your thoughts on the, and I think you've, you've discovered this on your own and, and, and perhaps in the beginning, a lot of people in, in leadership positions take more of a micromanaging approach for a variety of reasons and have to sort of learn to let go of some control. And I think that autonomy is very important. If you want to get the most out of your people, you have to step back a little bit and give them some ability to, to shine and, and to bring, mm-hmm. what, bring their own talents to the, um, to the organization. How do you do that? How do you do that? If you're someone, let, let's say, someone who's kind of a control freak and has trouble letting go of that.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I want to go back to what you said about likability really quickly and then we'll, then we'll talk about, yeah. Giving autonomy and empowering people and letting go of that need to control so I love what you said because here's here's something that took me a long time to learn and I would say I probably learned it in the last year or two that people can disagree with you and still support you and I used to think as a leader the, the job of a leader is to get everyone to buy in and like let's say we're changing something we need everyone to be happy with this change and what I realized is sometimes people aren't going to be happy with the change. Sometimes people may take more time to be bought in on something. And it's really powerful as a leader to sometimes say, it's okay that you disagree with me. What I would love to ask for is your support, which is why the likability and the trust matters. Because when you're actually vulnerable and like a real person to people, you'll find that you get in this in this dynamic sometimes where people can totally disagree with you and that's okay, but they still support you. And so that's why it's important. Um, Okay. So going back to the micromanaging. So I was a micromanager and not because I didn't trust people, but because I just, I think it's like when it's your business, it's your baby and your name is on everything and you want to make sure you're not letting anyone down. And I also was, clueless about how to empower people. I thought empowering was, here's a list of everything I need you to do. Here's how to do it. Can you do it? And my heart was in the right place. Like I wanted people to help me build this business, but I wasn't sure how to actually empower people. So I didn't realize that the way I was approaching things by giving someone a to-do list and spelling everything out was actually making them feel the opposite of empowered. It was making them feel like you don't trust me. So you have to spell everything out for me. And I found myself in this position where people would always come and ask me questions about everything, and it was so frustrating because I would think, "Don't you know the answer to this? Or don't can't you think about maybe the solution to this?" And I didn't have the awareness to to, to see that I was the one that had put myself in that situation because by by telling everyone what to do all the time, I was sending the message that you're not capable. So anytime they needed help with something. They were learning that I was a part of the equation, which is why they were asking me all these questions. So if you're listening to this and you're finding yourself in that similar place where people are always asking you what to do, it could be a symptom of a larger problem, which is that your team doesn't feel that you trust them. So how do you learn to let go? A couple things you can do. One is I try to think about asking instead of telling. So when someone comes to me with a challenge, instead of telling them what to do, I I try to ask a question back. What do you think? Or what ideas do you have? Or how do you think we might be able to solve that? There's another powerful tool that I teach called the 131 and we use this in our company. The 131 is a way to um, empower someone to think of their own solution. So the one stands for what is the challenge? The three are what are three potential ideas you have to solve that challenge? And then the one is what is your recommendation? So when someone comes to me with a challenge, I'll say, what's your one, three, one, go think about it. And then they'll come back and say, okay, here's a challenge. Here are three potential directions we could take. Here's what I think we should do. And this is the hard part. Many times what they recommend is not what you would suggest. And so what I try to think about is if they can do it to 80%, like if this is going to be 80% chance it's going to work, go for it. You know, but if I think there's going to be a real problem with their recommendation, I'll give my feedback and then I'll have them go back to the drawing board, but people will not do it the way that you would. And sometimes they do it so much better than you would. And I'm blown away by how many times our team, you know, they'll, they'll have these solutions. I'm like, would oh, have never thought of that. And it's so much better than what my solution would have been. So it just, it's, it's a process, but before every interaction, I think, how do I empower this person? How do I help them see that they're capable and teach them that they can trust themselves?
0: yeah well, and that, as I heard before, which is probably true if you do, if you stop soliciting the ideas of your team they're going to stop coming to you with ideas. Yes. why would they if nothing's ever listened to and i 'll get that too, and around the the topic of empowering people, and people say yeah i've heard that before, I know, but what if i don't agree with the people on my team and um you know there there's you do have as a leader as an owner of a business the um, it, it is on you to make executive level decisions and, and sometimes not everyone's going to be happy. But I, I tell people, consider that, no pun intended in my industry, but you probably have blind spots about, your, about what goes on in the practice because you are not. you spend 80% of your time in a dark room and back doing eye exams. You can't possibly know everything that's going on. And I guarantee the staff is out there grumbling about you and saying, if it were up to me, yeah. I would do things differently.
1: Yes. And
0: you know what? They might be right. They might be right. They have So I always say, if it's not going to burn the place down, if your staff has some ideas that, that you're not 100%, maybe you would have done it a different way, just let them try it. You can always circle back and say, we'll do it your way for three months or for a month. And, right. and let's circle back and see what's working. I think through that process, you learn a lot as well. And maybe it's a home run and, and you keep doing it. Maybe it's a failure and you learn from that. A lot of times it's just kind of a pivoting thing. It's like, well, this aspects of this work, but let's tweak it. But yeah. I think sometimes people just want a voice.
1: Yeah. And, and so the question is, how do you, let's say that your current culture isn't one where you have people coming with ideas, or maybe you are on the other side of this equation and you feel like you have all these ideas and you're not quite sure how to share them with your leader. You know, I think the one, three, one is a powerful tool to use with your leader. Like you could go to your leader and say, here's a challenge. I see here are three ideas. Here's what I'd like to do. Can I have your support? And sometimes I think leaders, you know, we have so much on our plates and, and we don't have the bandwidth. to to solve something and people come with the problem, but they don't come with the solution. So when someone comes with a solution and they say, I wanna do this, it's a lot easier to get buy-in and for the the person on the other end to say, yes, go for it. Uh, But how do you solicit ideas? So one thing that I love to do is ask very very pointed, direct questions like if you had to recommend one thing that our business could do to be a better business, what would it be? And have a meeting where everyone brings that one thing. And sometimes I'll ask, um, you know, if you had to, had to describe one way that our business is inefficient and, and an idea to make it more efficient, what would it be? So just really asking those questions and having people come with the answers. I was just uh, on, on a call where someone was telling me they heard about a team that had something, I think it was called the idea box, and you could put any idea in and you were paid $5 no matter what your idea was, because the whole thing is no idea is a bad idea. And you can have unlimited ideas. If you submitted a hundred ideas every week, they would pay you $5 per idea. So it's just how do you start to encourage people to come forward? And sometimes you have to create the space and ask intentional questions and show that you really want the answers.
0: Do you find that people are more motivated when it's their ideas that are driving things?
1: Yeah. I think oh. you want to get people ownership, you know, and, and, A lot of times I think we try to solve problems for people that, and and we don't involve the very people that the decision impacts. And then we wonder why isn't this bought, why aren't they bought in? So for example, let's just talk about, I know we're probably all over talking about COVID, but there's a specific example that might help bring this to life. So our business, we decided to close for two months Mm -hmm. to retrain and learn how to really disinfect and clean with COVID and have new procedures and, I knew that when we reopened, it would be a question of how to reopen and how do we get everyone to buy into our new procedures and to understand the importance of this? And also, how do we make people feel safe? And so instead of just deciding all these things as a leadership team, we invited our team into that conversation. And every week we would have meetings where we would ask, what's important to you when we reopen? What are the fears that you have? What are the things that you'd like us to think about? Here's what we're thinking. What are your thoughts on that? And so we really took them along with us. and. When we got to the end and we presented, here's here's our plan. Everyone felt like they were a part of it, and that's when you get buy-in. So it's you know even in the the decisions that you're making on a daily basis, think about how can I bring those that are affected by this decision into the conversation.
0: There's a book which I'll probably mess up the title, but it's something like when what to do about employees who don't do what you want them to do and what to do Mm -hmm. about it. I think I butchered that a little bit, but you know, and what they found through the research in this book was that the top, some of the top reasons that employees don't do what you want them to do. They don't like your ideas and they think their ideas are better just to show you. like, And I always tell people, look, you don't have to like that, but just don't ignore it. Because if if you're putting forward ideas without soliciting feedback and input from the people on your team, like you said, who it impacts, then you may become that office I hear about a lot of times, way too often that says, yeah, we have a hard time trying things new here because it just doesn't stick. People don't do it people don't want to change. And that's my first piece of advice is maybe let's try bringing them on board with the chain, involve them, make them part of the team. And yeah. if they understand how it benefits everybody, it's not just for the, so the owner can drive a nicer car, but how this benefits everybody, all stakeholders, then I think, um, you know, I think you've got a better chance there of actually getting people to execute yeah. on some of these ideas. What do you do about people who keep making the same mistakes over and over? And, and I think we're both in full agreement that communication is, is very critical and candid feedback and letting people know what they're doing good, letting people know areas they need to work on something. I hear a lot. Yeah, we did that. They keep making the same mistakes over and over. Yeah.
1: Well, there's a lot that goes into this. So first I think you, you start with empowerment, right? So I believe empowerment is trusting in people's potential and capabilities before they've proven themselves. So I tend to give people responsibilities that maybe they aren't ready for it. I'm putting quotations around ready for you know? And I, I had this experience early on in the business where I had an intern who was my first intern, she was an HR intern, and I put her in charge of payroll. Even though she had no payroll experience, I empowered her to take this over. And the first time she submitted payroll, she made a huge mistake and she overpaid 27 people by $40,000. And that was like the first big screw up I ever had in the business. And what I learned in that is so not only did I empower her to take on this responsibility, she messed up, right? I also empowered her to fix it. I told her about what happened. I put it on her to find the solution. She found a solution. It worked. We got the money back and I got to see her be proud of how she handled that. It was like she went from being ashamed to now I'm proud that I figured this out and then it was payroll day again and I trusted her to do it again and, and and I went you know with this can't happen again like I'm gonna trust that you learned from this. Now if the next time she submitted payroll she made another mistake that would be a problem but she learned from that and she grew from that and I continued to trust her with payroll and she never made another mistake on payroll. So I think a lot of times we get it wrong when someone fails we take something away from them. We say, okay, I can't trust you with this anymore. And I think you, you can't really empower people unless you're also giving them the chance to get back up again. But your expectation can be you learn from this. And sometimes the person may repeat, like they may, let's say they're faced with the same situation and the outcome isn't good, but they did it differently. I would say that's learning. I, I don't think that's failing. I think failing is when you take nothing From that failure or that experience, you repeat the exact same behavior next time and you have the same results. And that is what I don't have a tolerance for. So, the way that we handle this in our company is we do have a high screw up tolerance in the beginning. Like, we want to empower you, we're going to trust you to do things that maybe you're not ready for. And it's okay if you fall down, but we expect you're going to get back up and you're going to learn from it and you're going to do it differently next time. Feedback is a critical part of this process. You have to be willing to lean into feedback and to give people pretty immediate feedback when they, when they get it wrong so that they're learning and that you're, you're guiding them. But if the feedback isn't working, we do something called an accountability action plan. And what we try to do is we inspire people to take ownership of their own growth and their improvement. So if we've given feedback, if the person's failed and it's not working, it's happening again, we put it on them to tell us how they're gonna fix it. And there's five parts of the plan. What happened, like what's the behavior that has to be changed? Why does it need to be changed? What's the impact of it? What's your plan to change it? By when will you change it? And what happens if you don't meet this? And we hold them to that. So many times people don't get it together and then they have to leave the company, but it was, it wasn't a surprise. Like we met about it. We decided this and they, they didn't own it. And the hardest leadership lesson probably maybe, maybe not for everyone, but for me is learning to let go. And you can't want it more than someone wants it. Mm-hmm. You know, they it's you can create the environment, but they own their success, and they have to be willing to get back up and do it differently.
0: Yeah, I love. I remember that that stuck out at me from the book. The yeah. uh, from an accountability standpoint, because that's something a lot of people in leadership positions struggle with. It, it's one of the most dodged responsibilities, and people will say, "Well, I'm not comfortable with confrontation." And I don't know if it really has to be, there's ways to make accountability less confrontational. And and one is just come to an alignment with the other person on, here's how we're going to move forward. How are you going to fix this and what's going to happen? And then there's some self accountability there when they are part of that plan. And if they don't stick to it, it, well, they made their own decision. That was the decision they made. Like somebody told me once, I'm still going to love them, but I'm I'm just going to love them from a distance if they're not right for this particular um, practice. Right. Giving feedback is so uh, critical. I I I would say that the overwhelming majority of the problems that I see in, in my industry relating to staff management issues in one way, shape, or form stem back to some breakdown in communication, whether that's lack of clarifying expectations, lack of feedback, uh, not giving feedback. Um, you know, they're ambi- giving ambiguous, you know, instructions that the ability to communicate clearly, but the receiver sometimes takes information differently. If you you've, might have taken, I, I did, um, took a personality test once uh-huh. and there's all these questions and then it kicks out a few paragraphs about you and I read it. And with the exception of a few minor details, reading this back, it was as if my, my mom and my <laughs> wife got together and wrote yeah. a couple paragraphs about me. I'm like, really? yeah, that's me, the good and the bad and the ugly right there. Um, me personally feedback, I would rather you just, just tell me what's on your mind. I don't know if it's my, uh, impatience or some, I just don't, you know, just tell me what you have to tell me. Don't beat her on the bush where other people are a lot more sensitive and the slightest little thing said wrong can really kind of set them over the edge. How, how do you deal with different? I mean, do you have a different approach with Mm -hmm. employees? How, How do you handle that?
1: Okay. So in addition to student made, I work with teams, over to help them strengthen their cultures and I think that what I see the most whether whether it's a high-performing team or a really dysfunctional team this is this is what it is it's either if, if a team is high performing it's because they've really got this communication down if a team is dysfunctional it's because they've created an environment where no one's being honest and transparent and candid and we can't build trust if you think about it trust is not built when we're not being candid and honest so Feedback is such a huge part of that, and there's a couple of things. It's how do you give it, and then how do you receive it? And I think the problem is we're not taught in school how to do this. So some of us have really healthy examples. Some of us don't. Some of us came from homes where conflict was abusive, or it wasn't even addressed at all. Everything was always Mm -hmm. rainbows and butterflies, and, and there were a lot of problems maybe, but we never talked about them. So we don't know what's coming with people into a conversation, and We've decided at Student Made to teach everyone how to communicate. And we actually have a training that our people take before they learn how to clean. And and one of the things we teach is the FBI. And this comes from a company that I just love, Barry Waymeller. They've given me permission to teach this to everyone. The FBI is a way to both give critical feedback and to recognize someone. And the F stands for feeling. The B stands for behavior. The I stands for impact. So let's say someone was late to a meeting that you were really counting on them to to be at. You could say something like, I felt disappointed that you were 30 minutes late to the meeting, and the impact is now, I'm not sure if I can rely on you. And when you communicate those three things, the feeling, the behavior that made you feel that way, and the impact of that behavior, you're more inclined to inspire someone to change their behavior. And you can also use it for recognition. I felt proud that you spoke up and shared your idea. And the impact was it led to this solution that now we're going to implement. You know, like that's just an off the cuff FBI. So one one really important piece is we have to teach people how to use their voice. And you as a leader have to create that environment where you're using the FBI and and you're encouraging that feedback. So once you give someone feedback, you ask them something like tomorrow, I want you to give me an FBI. You, You show that it's a two way street. We shouldn't wait for reviews to give feedback. We should lean in when we notice something It's like when you go to dinner with someone and you have something big black in the middle of your two front teeth, you know, like a pepper or something, and it's there the whole dinner and no one says anything. And then you go to the bathroom and you look in the mirror and you're like, what the heck? How come no one said that? And that's what what it's like if you have someone who is constantly interrupting people and everyone is avoiding conversation with them because they just hate how this person interrupts everyone. But no one's holding up the mirror to say, hey, do you see this? Like, this is hurting your potential to grow. It's like we have to have the courage to do that. Um, So I think that's one end. The other end is accepting. And something that is really powerful to think about is when someone's emotions exceed the moment, it's not about the feedback. When someone responds with defensiveness or anger, they're hurting. It could be something about their past that's being triggered. So I just think it's so important to meet people with empathy. And when someone doesn't handle feedback the best, saying something like, I really care about you and I want to understand, tell me more about how you're feeling and what's happening here. Feedback is, I mean, I think it's where trust is, is born. And if you can get this piece right, it, it changes everything on your team
0: you've alluded to this a few times, but i'm curious how how often do you meet and is it do you, do you take more of a structured approach or is it just you know I, i've talked with some practice owners that say well we don't really have an official other than maybe an, an annual review, but we are we're just really comfortable in our in our on our team giving feedback you know back and forth and I always tell people, look if you're you know sometimes uh an employer's hit a point where they're ready to let somebody go yeah. and I always try to look at it from the standpoint of is this a case of the Employee failing the practice, or is this a, a case of the practice failing the employee? I mean, did you give this person the tools, the training, the resources, the feedback that they needed to succeed? I always tell people if sometimes you'll have to let people go, but they should never be surprised when they're being let go. If you've given them all the right. feedback that they need, how often? I know you've mentioned that the meetings during COVID and, and how how do you approach that? Are you more just off the cuff, let's just chat here you know, while we're talking in the office, or do you have we're gonna sit down every quarter?
1: Yeah, so we have, um, I'm just thinking on our leadership team, we have a weekly meeting and company-wide we have a weekly meeting and that's our chance to really just get connected and stay aligned on the goals and we do some personal catch-up stuff. Um, When it comes to feedback, I have a general rule that for myself and, and one that I've tried to inspire on the team is when you are frustrated with something or someone or you notice something amazing and you want to recognize someone, try to do it within 24 hours because that's how we build trust. Imagine if a month later you find out that someone was upset at something you did a month ago. You've lost trust in this person because you're thinking for one whole month you've known this and you haven't shared. What else are you not sharing with me? So I've tried to take this approach of instead of there being more formal meetings for feedback, let's just get into the habit of giving it when we feel compelled to give it and schedule a meeting for just that an ad hoc meeting you know and it'll be hey you have you have some time tomorrow i'd like to spend 20 minutes giving you some feedback about the meeting yesterday all that being said we take the time to reflect every quarter and we do a pretty big reflection every quarter where we reflect on an individual level and how we showed up that quarter and how the team did and it's a 360 review we do it in person or on zoom never in a survey kind of format and we just come with two things we think we're doing well and two things we could be doing better and everyone shares and I also I also ask questions like one to ten how would you rate your happiness at work one to ten how would you rate our trust as a team or our relationships and it's so revealing like this last quarter our average as a team was a 5.8 for relationships the lowest we've ever been we're normally a nine or a ten and the reason is we were in survival mode we were we immediately went to, we have to survive this pandemic. And all the things we used to do to build our relationships went out the window because we were all focused on surviving. So now, as we go into this next quarter, we're like, how do we do it differently? How do we make sure we don't lose the relationship piece? And it already feels night and day, but do we take the time to stop and reflect and talk about these things? Because if we don't, we just go into the next season carrying everything we're doing, and the problems just get bigger. I have
0: two more questions. Two. Okay. Uh, big pain points with the the, uh, the the people I work with, one is leaders soliciting feedback from their team. Do you just ask for it? How do you I, I think that 's almost non existent in a lot of businesses yeah. that a leader actually goes out and, and solicits the feedback and two problems there is, is either one are people comfortable giving that feedback? Mm-hmm. Have you created that vulnerability that you talked about where people actually feel comfortable? Um, giving that feedback. And I think the other challenge with it is people in leadership positions fear what they're going to hear. Yeah. So I guess that brings us back to vulnerability too, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. How do you approach it?
0: Do you just ask? I mean, you you've created a different culture. Your mm-hmm. culture's odd in the sense, and I mean that in a good way. I mean that in the in the it's best weird. possible way. But not every culture is like that. I mean, how, how do you how do you approach that?
1: Yes, I I solicit. I ask. And I think there's two parts to this. So one is reflect on how do you handle it when someone gives you feedback? Do you respond defensively? Do you immediately respond with all the reasons why it won't work? Do you shut down? Do you get angry? Because if you do any of those things, the message you're sending is, don't ever be honest with me again. And so I try to always first thank the person for the courage they had to open up and share this with me. Mm -hmm. And, And I think sometimes the ideas that people have just aren't feasible. It's like, yeah, I wish we could do that too, but we can't. And here's why. And so I do think we owe people a reason. If we can't do something with their feedback, we do owe them a reason why. Otherwise they think we just don't care. And then they're not inclined to share anything else in the future. Um, But, you know, first thank them, thank them for having the courage to talk to you. And then, yeah, I have meetings where I will ask, bring two things you think I could be doing better as a leader. Bring one thing you think our company could be doing better And my job in those meetings is to listen it's not to solve problems it's not to defend myself it's to say thank you thank you thank you to write everything down and then reflect on that and come back to the team and say here's what i heard and here's what i'd like to do about it and the more you can do that the more people feel safe coming to you in between meetings and saying hey i have this idea or i wanted to give you this feedback our people have the answers every challenge that we're struggling with in our business i swear our people have the answers but if we haven't created the environment for them to feel safe sharing them, then leadership is really lonely because we feel like we have to figure it all out ourselves. And we have this whole team that is probably so willing to help if we give them the chance.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it was, was it Google who coined the term, I might be off on that, psychological safety, yeah. where they, they found, I believe it was Google, that they they did surveys or they did uh, studies that found that the number one quality and high performing teams was what they, what they called psychological safety, the ability to come to work, give feedback give their ideas without fear of repercussions, without fear of being cut down. um, That that was the kind of culture really to strive for. Um, So lastly, there was a point in the book which really resonated with me because I I hear this a lot and I'm not even sure sometimes how to address it. It's the, the office that calls up and says, we've got the superstar employee with this one annoying quality. Uh, he or she just not get to work on time or just it's there. Is, and, and we've, we've addressed it. We, we've dealt with it. Um, you went through a situation, uh, probably more than one, but I think there was a specific, um, situation that you described in the book where you gave somebody basically an ultimatum and they finally push came to shove and you had to make a decision on this person that you did not want to get rid of yeah. that if you don't change this. We're going to have to get rid of you. Where do you, where do you bend the rules with people? I mean, how do you handle those situations? The superstar employee who keeps who's got this one fatal flaw—is it fatal? And you know, is or is it something you can live with? Uh, but when do you bend the rules for people? How, how do you make that fit into yeah. a policy? I, I, I'm, I'd like to get your feedback on that.
1: Okay, so let's end with this story. I'll share the story of Kayla, who is who you're referring to. I wrote about her in the book, and Kayla was without question, the best cleaner we've probably ever had in our company in our whole history, but she couldn't be on time. And I had an, a real appreciation for her because she came from a very rocky home life and I knew that student maid was everything to her. She would always say that student maid was her family. So she was a great team member. I knew how important the job was to her. So I overlooked the, the fact that she was tardy sometimes. And the leadership team, they weren't okay with that. They said, you know, we have to hold her to the same standards. And I, of course, understood where they were coming from. And I was really struggling with what to do. So I decided to devote myself to her improvement. And I became determined to help her build, to to change the habit of being late. And for 30 days, the, the deal was I would make sure she was awake for her shift. And if I didn't hear from her, I would call her, make sure she was up. But after those 30 days, if she was late one more time, that semester she'd lose her job. 30 days she's on time, first day she's on her own, she's really late. I don't have the courage, I don't do it, I keep her on the team. Long story short, her problem got worse. Instead of just being 10 minutes late, she's now missing shifts altogether. It was really affecting the team, so I decided to keep her on the team and instead of having her work in clients' homes, just have her work in our office and in my house cleaning, so that the only person she was affecting is me. And one day I came home, and there was a cup of beer on my counter, and she was the only person who had been in my house. And then the dots started to connect that maybe she had a drinking problem, and maybe this is why she was late. So I confronted her, and of course, she tells me she has a really serious substance abuse um, issue. And I know at that point that I can't help her, So I told her that she had to go and it felt really hard that in the most vulnerable time for her, I'm basically saying, I can't help you anymore. And I carried a lot of guilt about that. But then one day she called out of the blue and she said, I just have to thank you for letting me go. And to, to this day, I mean, she's doing amazing. She's been clean for five years. She's graduated with her master's. She's got one of the highest grades in her class. She's got in a great relationship. And I look at her and I think, I enabled her. Like I am the reason that she didn't grow sooner. And so I think that's the problem. When we have people who don't want it, who aren't ready to change, who, who aren't in that place where, you know, for me, when I look back, I was the one that was determined to help her beat the habit. I was pouring myself into it. She wasn't taking ownership of that. And so that's, that brings me to, you can't want it more than, than the other person wants it. And you can create the environment, but it's up to them to do their part and if, the, if there's a problem like that, like a tardiness problem, the team that's part of the team that's on time is looking at that and they're thinking, this isn't fair. How come this person gets to stay on the team, but here I am doing what I'm supposed to do and they get to stay on the team. So you're hurting, not just the person because you're enabling them, but you're hurting the rest of the team. So sometimes the best thing we can do for people is ask them to leave.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, and it's a great way to close out on that that topic of change. Um, yeah. it, it's something that I've really been on kind of a kick lately, and um, I, I relate it to uh, a lot of the doctors. Maybe it's more of a, a clinical care issue in this case, but a lot of doctors will share information with patients, mm-hmm. and people just kind of hear the information and nod their head but they don't act on the information. It happens way too often in, uh, in in the medical field, in clinical care. So I've really been on a kick lately in how do we connect the dots there and get people to not just hear the information but act on it. And I think it applies to leadership as well. Because if you're giving feedback um, and giving information, is it actually – you know, are you doing it in a way that's getting people to act on that information? Is something changing? And you're right. It if you're never getting things to change and everything just always status quo, you're probably not very effective as a leader, but you also have to recognize, I think what you're saying is that if somebody's just not willing to change, then you really can't help them. They they might need to find that that help somewhere else. So I think your book does a great job of of giving people the tools to do that. So thank you so much, Kristen, for, for being a thank guest. You. Um, I, I know our listeners will get value out of this. So where do they find out about you and how do they buy your book?
1: Yeah. So a few things. So uh, you can follow me on social media. My name, Kristen Hadid. The book is on Amazon. It's in any bookstore where books are sold, permission to screw up. And then I really hope you check out my website, just kristenhadid.com. And I have a blog. Every Tuesday, I write about leadership challenges, and it goes straight to your inbox. I promise to never spam you, but if you sign up, you'll get those emails. And then I also have a page called resources, and this is probably the most valuable page on the site. All the books that I love and why I love them, books that have shaped my philosophy as a leader, but also all these resources that my team has put together. I mean, there are tons. It's like how to build trust in virtual meetings, how to help yourself and your team be more vulnerable. So many things. So if you go on that page, at the very bottom of the resource page, you'll find all these guides. They're all pay what you can. You could put zero and you get all of them for free. So just a lot of resources that I hope you use. And you can contact us through the site. So if you have any questions or you're struggling with a a certain specific challenge and you'd like some perspective, please feel like you can share it with us. And we'd be so happy to tell you what we think.
0: Awesome, I love it so much. Uh, and um, thanks again. I'm on your um, uh, mailing list, so I can uh, confirm that you're not spamming me. Okay, good. <laughs> And I appreciate everything. So yeah, thanks again for for uh, for for spending some time here with us. And it was a, 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 a tremendous value that you've you've given to our audience. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Steve. And I I always end with a Zoom hug, so I'm gonna give you a hug. Um, okay. I know you do. I'm it's the sure. second one I've okay. gotten. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Have a great day. Thank you.
1: You too.